The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. And go to 2 Timothy chapter number 2 tonight. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. How many of you have had honey out of the comb? Yeah? My dad's a beekeeper. He stings himself. I don't know about all that. Uh, he says it helps with his arthritis. Anytime you have an affliction, he says, can I sting you? You know, it's just, it's, it's just a little bit of a different world, right? But uh, honey out of the comb, that's, that's, that's pretty sweet stuff. Sweeter than honey out of the comb, and that is what Jesus is to us. And uh, wow, beautiful, beautiful words. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 14. The Bible says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is already past, and over, have overthrown the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Now let's read that phrase together. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Aren't you grateful for that? He sure does. He knows them that are his, and let us, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You may be seated. May God ask, add his blessing to the reading of his word and his truth to our hearts tonight. Why don't you bow there tonight and just ask the Lord to speak to your heart, help you to get what you need from this passage of scripture this evening. Dear Jesus, thank you for the privilege to be together tonight. Our hearts are warmed by the gathering and by the fellowship, the friendship, and the music together to be able to just sing your praises. Lord, how grateful we are that the old account is settled. Uh, Lord, how grateful we are that the same God who has saved us can overcome any obstacle in our lives. Lord, the, uh, the troubles, the trials, the clouds roll in and it seems insurmountable, but you can overcome anything and we pray that, uh, Lord, even tonight for everyone in here that you just give us the, the faith to just trust you through the trials and to continue forward for you to endure and to not, to not give in, not give up. So help us tonight. Would you apply your word to our hearts? Give us something practical to walk out of here with that would help us to serve you in a better way, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. There was a problem in the church of Ephesus that Timothy was uh, pastoring, and uh, a problem that, that really isn't unique to the church of Ephesus. Uh, it was this issue where there were some, we already really looked at this in the book of Acts, where there were some that were really doing a lot of squabbling about words and kind of the definition of words, uh, arguing over things that really just didn't have a whole lot of, a whole lot of substance to them. It was arguing for argument's sake, and what had happened within the church there is uh, this was an endless debating and quibbling that had gone on, and really it, it lended not to a, toward a spiritual environment, it lended towards a, a, a destructive environment. Sometimes today we hear things about toxic environments, so many of you have heard about toxic environments, so, uh, that place, that organization has a toxic environment, and, and sometimes that's thrown around maybe a, a, a little bit much, but uh, in reality, there are some times where even in, within a family, within the family of God, there can be a, a spirit of contention like we saw this morning kind of spread, and uh, it, it can become a problem. Here specifically, it was over words, vain and useless words, words that really weren't helping people to be edified. Uh, there are some topics, though true, that don't really help a person to be edified in the faith. And, and so that's kind of the idea that Paul is dealing with here. Remember, he's been encouraging uh, Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Be like the athlete. Run all. Give it your all. Be like the farmer who goes out there, puts in the work every day. He's the one that receives the, um, the fruit of his labor. Be like Jesus who went through the cross, saw it through all the way to triumph, and continues as an example for us today to endure, though very difficult, to endure all the way through. And Right after this, this admonition to keep enduring like the, like the a soldier, like the farmer, like the athlete, like Jesus, he drops in this admonition to Timothy, hey, I want you to deal with this matter that's going on in the church where there's all this contention that's surrounding words and their definitions and kind of parsing it down and uh, using semantics to gain advantage over one another. And so he says, I want you to deal with this thing because it's destructive. You really need to deal with this and remind these, uh, the, the people of God that this isn't healthy for them. It's really, as one man said, so easy to become a theological crank. Yeah, well, I know a little bit more Bible than you, and I, I've been enlightened, you know what I mean, where we use it, we use the Bible not as a way of edifying one another, but really like kind of a billy club over one another. You know what I'm talking about? And so Paul's saying, no, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to waste time in that. I want you to charge them. These that are to be enduring, going forward for the Lord Jesus Christ, charge them. He says, put them in remembrance. Remind them this is not healthy to their souls. Charge is just what it sounds like. Give a solemn, uh, authoritative instruction and an assertion. You cannot go on this way. Uh, you cannot allow this to continue to reign in your life. The idea here is stop the debate, stop the strife, stop the contention, stop the bickering, and go forward for the Lord in a spiritually healthy way. Now, we understand that, and uh, because I'm raising kids, I understand that, that a lot of my illustrations right now come from kids, but, you know, there's times where you, just, uh, you, you pull them apart and you stop fighting. Stop fighting. You know, what's dominated your conversation this week? Telling the kids to stop fighting. Stop being on each other. Stop bickering. Uh, that's mine, and you took my thing. You know what? 
And as I mentioned this morning, we can get in that same kind of, that same kind of attitude about different things in our Christian life. Uh, sometimes you wonder, uh, you ever wonder with me, some, uh, do we ever really, really truly grow up? You know, sometimes we just become a little bit better at how we do undo the things we shouldn't do. And, uh, and, and the fact is, Timothy was going to need to tell the folks there, this isn't healthy for you. Now, notice, Timothy isn't, isn't going to go in there and just obliterate them. But he's to help them understand, this isn't good. This is going to hurt you. This is, this is something that you need to remember. Why? Because it's useless. It doesn't have profit. It ruins. He uses the word subvert. It literally ruins. And so most debate, if we think about it, most debate, and I've, I've thought about this in my own life, most debate really comes down to this. It really comes down to me trying to gain an advantage over someone else. Very rarely do I speak about somebody else in a negative way or, or try to contend with somebody else in a, in a negative way if I'm not trying to gain advantage over. You know how we can, you know how it happens. Every, we see this in, in politics. Let's take the example over there. If I can beat my opponent down, I build myself up. Is that how we should act within the family of God? No. Do we sometimes? You can't all just sit there and not participate tonight, all right? Do we sometimes? Yeah, we do. Do we sometimes do that right within our own homes to the people we love the most? Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. So in the middle of all that, Timothy's dealing with it. In the middle of all that, what is Timothy to remember? What is Timothy to go forward doing? What, how is he to lead the church? How are we as the Grace Baptist Church? What should we take away from what was going on there? How should we go through the middle of these times? Hey, you have, you have times where words are flying. What should we do in the middle of that? What should we remember in the, in the middle of that? And it is this, verse number 14 and 15 Seek the approval of God. Stop trying to get approval from one another or trying to build yourself up and trying to be the expert above someone else. Seek the approval of God. Notice verse number 15. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, uh, how many times have you seen that in like a graduation card or a, you know, uh, a card that deals with school, right? It's oftentimes there but we wildly miss the, um, the intent of this verse. The idea of study is to, to be eager about something, to be all in, to be focused on it, to, to, to zone in on this thing. So what is God saying? I want you to be eager to seek my approval. Study to, uh, to show thyself approved unto God, to please God. So what's Paul saying to Timothy? In the middle of all this, don't get sidetracked with all these words. Sometimes you feel like, well, I gotta deal with this or it's just gonna, it's gonna continue to go on. I, I, I gotta answer this back. No, he says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Get your eyes in the right place. Get your eyes back on God. I, hey, stop having your eyes on people and the problems. Look to God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Study on being that idea of of eagerness is a choice that we have to make. This idea of study is the same uh, idea that's found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 3 when it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Be eager to do that. Do you know what God's telling us? Be eager to keep peace as from the Holy Spirit among yourselves. Be eager. The servant of God, who is only interested in the approval of God, is one that does not need to be ashamed. 
Now, if we're seeking the approval of one another or we're seeking the approval of the world, we have reason to be ashamed. And we will be before God. But the servant of God that only seeks the approval of God has no need to be ashamed. Every one of us can step into that this week. Every one of us can have a heart that says, I don't care about anyone else. It's not that I'm, I'm being callous. I don't care about the approval of anyone else. If I can uh, be approved by God, if I can please God, that's all that matters for me. Even as I was preparing this tonight, uh, I was thinking, you know what, Lord, that is, that is an important prayer for me to remember. Lord, I don't need the approval of others. How many times do we get messed up in our lives when we seek the approval of others, even other believers? Seek the approval of God. How? Well, he gives us the answer in verse number 15, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's the answer? When the words are flying, the useless words are flying, when some false things are being said, he says, I want you to rightly divide the word of truth. This is a really amazing word, rightly dividing, is the idea to analyze correctly. Cut it straight. Cut it straight. You know, uh, when you're, you're cutting a board, and uh, uh, you know, I was doing some building in my basement this past week and, and putting up a wall, and I was having to cut a board. You know, you get to that, that last, little, last little bit in the saw, if you're using one of those circular saws, guys, and you don't have the guide at the end, right? You're, you have to kind of cut blind. And it's always interesting how it turns out, whether you've been able to cut straight. And, but it's important because that last little eighth inch that you leave on there, you know, cutting a little bit crooked uh, can cause a problem when Pete, um, putting, that, um, putting that board in or whatever. Uh, so cutting straight, the idea is dividing it down right. It needs to be cut straight. God is a God of order. He has designed his word to be laid out in order. It is understandable. The idea here is to interpret, to analyze it properly, uh, it, to make the appropriate distinctions. Do you know what? That happens through diligent study. That happens with a heart that's eager to understand the word of God. God, would you help me to understand? Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And so it's so important that we do that. And it's important that we understand how to divide down the word of God, to rightly divide it. Uh, there, are, there, are, uh, there is much in the world around us that, that takes the word of God and, and use proof text to, uh, to, uh, to base basically a, a set of doctrines or a heresy and they, they pull something out of the word of God and see, aha, I have it. You know, sometimes people go over to the book of Mark and, and they'll say, well, you have to be baptized in order to be saved because aha, it, sees, it says right here, uh, uh, believe and be baptized. And, and, it, it, and it talks like that. Well, how do you break that down? How do you, do, do you interpret the word of God in an accurate, rightly divided way? Um, I'm going to use a word, and I'm going to give you this, uh, this word. It's called biblical hermeneutics. It's a study of interpreting the Bible. I want to encourage you about this matter. Every one of us should grow in this matter of interpreting the Bible. This isn't something just for the pastor to do. God wrote the Bible for you and for me, right? It's, it's written for you and I, and so we need to learn and grow together in this matter of studying and interpreting the Word of God. Uh, questions like, is the church the replacement of Israel? Uh, do we take the Bible literally or allegorically? Uh, can the Bible really be understood? Is the Old Testament prophecy relevant for us today? How can I understand the symbolism inside of the book of Revelation? What's the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament? All these, um, these questions have answers and we need to learn how to divide the word of God in a proper way. Let me just throw out a resource to you uh, that, that I have read and has been helpful to me. It's written by uh, Roy Zuck. It's entitled uh, The Basic Bible Interpretation. It is a book, very, uh, it's a, a pretty simple book. 
It would be something that you might enjoy. Uh, Roy Zuck wrote this on how to, how to interpret the Bible. And every one of us needs to be uh, having a heart to interpret the Bible in the right way. Remember, the answer to when everything, the words are flying, when the false doctrine is flying, is this not a day when, uh, when false and useless and heretical words are flying? Yes or no? All over. All over. There's many, many, many words that fly that tickle the ears, right? It's all over. Many words that are contentious. All over. What should we be doing? Lord, I want to be approved of you. So that means I'm going to have to get into your word. I'm going to have to understand what it really says. Uh, it's always good to ask questions. There's times that, that uh, I, uh, I call up another pastor or talk to other folks that uh, study the Bible longer than me. Hey, what do you, what do you think this means? What's your understanding of this passage of Scripture? And uh, it's always helpful to ask questions and uh, continue to learn. So the Bible is not a book that's intended to be understood in the first read. It is the revelation of an infinite God. It's going to take some time to break it down and study it. And it's a spiritual book. We need spiritual understanding, so it takes time to look into the Word, and it takes thought, it takes time, it takes prayer, it takes work, and it takes the, the illumination of the Holy Spirit, which every one of you who have believed on Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit within you, and he will illuminate it. He is the teacher, right? He's the teacher, and he can guide you into all truth. Remember what Acts 17, verse 11 says? That these, the Bereans, were more noble than they that were at Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They heard the preaching, and they got into the word, and they searched the scriptures. They didn't have strong concordance back then. They got in the word and searched the scriptures. They did their best to understand the word of God. And so I encourage you, study the word of God. But right along with that, shun the false words. Shun the false words. You know, you think about a banker who needs to learn about uh, about. Uh, uh, how to spot counterfeits. Well, they don't go study all the counterfeits. They study the real deal. They study the real thing. We need to study the word of God and we need to shun the false things. We need to shun the wrong things. You know, the Holy Spirit of God is so good about directing our hearts and saying, you know what? Something's not right with that teaching. Something's not right with that statement. Something's not right about that. And we study the right thing and God helps us to know how to shun the wrong and worthless and useless words. Look at verse number 16. He tells Timothy, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto ungodliness. Ungodliness. You know what the fruit of worthless, heretical, worthless, useless, vain words is? Ungodliness. You know, it even comes down as, 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 as clever as this. There's the, there's the teaching that has been around since the book of Galatians that, and since the book of Titus all around in the early church that the grace of God allows us a license to sin and to live a life as we please. That's a false, those are false words. Those are worthless words. Those are useless words. They bring countless amounts of pain into the lives of believers the grace of god teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age 
You see how easy it is. And, you know, some, some uh, author can come along. Some, uh, some person can pick up that book and begin reading in the church and share it in a conversation and say, hey, listen, this is, sounds so amazing. God's grace is there. And you know what? Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not going to sweat too much of the practical small things of, of the Christian life because God's grace is there. It covers it all. And even if I do kind of mess up, you know, God's grace is there. And, you know, it, it covers it all. Listen, God's grace is there. But there's wrong teaching concerning, uh, concerning that that is useless and, and wrong, and it brings and it breeds more and more ungodliness. So Paul told Timothy, shun it. Lead the church to shun it. These profane words, those worthless words, the vain words being empty and useless, the babblings, the, just the constant carrying on. Do you know what? False teachers constantly are coming up with new things to say. And they kind of like throwing mud at a wall. Just throw it and see if it sticks. Throw it and see if it sticks. I'm thankful tonight that we have the word of God here and it's forever settled in heaven. Aren't you? And we don't have to throw this at the wall and hope it sticks. It, it's, already, it's already settled. It is there and it's, it's settled. But we have to be careful about all that is going on in our society and be careful even if it happens within the church. False teachers are constantly issuing that new truth, that new perspective, Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 14 that it's winds of doctrine. Winds of doctrine. Lots of winds of doctrine are blowing. Lots of winds of doctrine. And you know what? I find that many times the winds of doctrine change as people's perception as they, uh, as they allow carnality in their life. It's amazing how the winds of doctrine will change. They will change their theology based on their own, their own practice. Oh, we have to be so careful of this. Paul says shun it. Shun it. Push it away. Uh, this is the idea of, of just putting it out of sight, getting, uh, getting away from it, separating from it. It's, it's dangerous, and it's something that we cannot allow in our lives. Now, I, wanna, I want us to remember this. Carnal, carnality or sin in our lives will leave us very susceptible to useless and worthless words. Will leave us very susceptible to wrong doctrine. I was reading this past week in Jeremiah 5 and verse 31. A verse stood out to me. I wrote it down in my, on my journal, and it is this. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their own means. So basically, they're coming out, and they're saying whatever they want. Useless and vain words, words that do not have authority with God did not come from God, and so they prophesy falsely. In fact, a little later on in Jeremiah, they, they have sad my people somewhat. How did they do that? Peace, peace. God's not upset at your sin. Live the way that you want. God's grace is always there. God is loving, so you don't have to worry about offending him in any way. Live on, peace, peace is what they were saying. God said, oh, no, 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 no. So wrong. So he says there in, in, in Jeremiah 5, 31, I, you might write that down and go back and read around that. The prophets prophesied falsely. The priests bear rule by their own means and notice this, and my people love to have it so. You know how that struck me? There, if I allow, and the Israelites were in gross sin at this point, if I allow sin to come into my life, I will get to the point where I love it when the false words are flying. When I love it, when the heresy is flying, when, the, when, the, when, the, when I'm changing the attributes of God to fit my perspective and my own understanding and my own desire and my own convenience, 
and the people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? What are you going to do when this all plays out, God asks? What are you going to do when this plays out? Friends, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The end of departing away from the word of God is never a good end. And so he's saying, he is saying to Timothy, shun it, get it out. Have you studied the word of God? Enough to know when the worthless words are flying. When you're sitting down at coffee with that person, they begin to share this with you. Have you studied the word of God? Have you seen the real thing enough to know, you know, something's not right with that. You know, it's amazing. We can make anything look good in this age. We can Photoshop. We can put it on a stage. There are many, many marvelous conference speakers out there. We can make it look really, really grand and glorious. And just because it has a large following does not mean that it's the right way. The converse of that, just because it's a, also because it's a large, doesn't mean it's always wrong. We've got we to keep that in balance. We use the scriptures to untry the spirits, right? Amen? But what I'm saying is don't get swooned by what is big and fabulous and, and, and is out there as uh, these, powerful, these powerful conference speakers. There's some good things out there. There really are. But even as I think about, you know, if we, we're looking at uh, uh, something to show here at the church or, or, or give as a resource, I have to constantly go in there and look all the way through, all the way through as, as pastor because I don't want to say, hey, would you read this? If something's in there that's false and useless and vain words. I was looking at some resources that I would like to share with the church, and I was looking through them last night. I looked at one, and I said, you know what? I, I think there's a lot of man's words here. There might be a lot of, of principles that come from Scripture, but they sure haven't based this whole thing in Scripture very much. I don't think that's going to be very helpful to the church because it seems all too easy to slip in man's opinion right there. All right, so we have to be so careful. Paul says, I want you to shun it. Get it out of sight. Move away from it. And so we must seek the approval of God. And then, in the midst of all this, we must realize the devastation of false teachers and false teaching and false words. Now think about this. Paul says this, and he gives, he gives an illustration. He, he notes to us that embracing them, embracing these words, allowing them to come into our lives, in our ears, in our minds, and so forth, will bring spiritual rot. Notice verse 17. And their word will eat at the, as doth a canker. A canker. Hmm. The idea of eating is, is just kind of this wildly spreading uh, the spreading thing, it just tears through. Have you heard of some of these uh, different diseases that are going around, like flesh-eating diseases? Those are scary. I've seen, I've seen, uh, I've heard tell of, of some of that in, in the last couple of years. That's the idea. This is something that just eats through. It, it just, it, it burns through the, the pasture land. Um, when I was in West Virginia, I dropped off some kids that came over to um, play in the river with our kids. And I dropped them off on top of a mountain. And uh, the, uh, the mom says, you, you look out over there. I said, she, she said, there's five fire departments out over there. The, 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 uh, the mountain over there caught on fire. Um, I don't know what caused it or whatever. But you know when, that, when those wildfires go, they just tear through, right? They, they, nothing's stopping them until they put a break in the in the ground and so forth. So it tears through. That's the idea, this eating, eating through. But he uses this word canker, and it's the idea of gangrene. 
None of us like the, the sound of that. It just eats through the flesh. It's gross. It destroys. How many of you have seen some gangrene? Yeah, it's, it's not good. Not good. And God says he likens the false, useless words that cause contention and are causing all this quibbling to go on to just like that gangrene. Uh, none of us wish for gangrene tomorrow, right? Not a one of us. And neither should we, neither should we allow, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, it's, it, it's all right. What he's saying, it's all right. I know there's, and there's, there's some things I don't agree with, but it, it's, it's all right. Listen, we should shun it. We should get away from it. Uh, we should not allow it into our lives. Don't embrace it in any way. And so this medical image that, that Paul is using, is, it's very, very striking. Participating with those who engage in such profane speculations and words will only give their words a feeding place like gain green, as one man said. Give a feeding place. Don't embrace it. Don't go there. It's nothing to mess around with. But accepting it, going a, a step further, you know that, that when we tolerate something, we'll eventually accept it. That's where our nation is. Uh, by the way, that is what Hollywood has done over and over and over again. The whole agenda that circula uh, circula uh, uh, circles around the whole uh, gay marriage and all that, they have been pushing this for years. And you know what? They got pushed back and got pushed back and got pushed back. And you know what happened? They would stop. They would stand back. They'd insert a little bit. Someone would laugh at a joke about, about gay marriage and, and, and so on. And then it came to now. You see it in all, a bunch of commercials. You see it all over. It's constantly being pressed in the face. What America, what America tolerated, it's now in this generation, really accepting. But here's the thing. If we tolerate words, if we tolerate wrong things, you know, it's all right. As long as it doesn't really infringe on my life or, you know, it's not that big of a deal, we tolerate, we begin to accept. And so Paul says this, accepting them brings ruin. Notice verse 17. He talks about those two men who concerning the truth have erred. They have erred. They've deviated from the truth. They've left the track. They've left the straight and the narrow. They've deviated from the truth, saying the resurrection is already passed and overthrown the faith of some. So they're coming along and saying, listen, and what some people think is that they were preaching that the resurrection was a spiritual thing. It happened at salvation, so it's already passed. You don't have anything to look forward to. How many understand tonight the resurrection is the keystone, is a keystone of Christianity? It's a wonderful thing, the resurrection. So because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and by the way, how often has that been attacked? But God did as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says it was seen of, uh, of, of Cephas, and he was seen of, of above 500, above 500 at one time. That's pretty amazing. And so he gives us ample proof for the resurrection, and it is there for a reason. Why? Because it's a, a, the keystone of our, of our Christianity, and so isn't the fact that you and I will one day rise. Now, I hope, I hope that we get caught up in the skies. Now, just think, if every one of you who said amen tonight would um, be caught up in the skies, the rest of you have to go through the resurrection. All right, no, I, I, I'm kidding you, but listen, isn't that a glorious truth? We have something to look forward to tomorrow. 
I don't know if Jesus will come, but we have something to look forward to, Brother Larry, tomorrow, don't we? That's a wonderful thing. But you know what? Either way, we win. And, and think about this. We, the Bible says there in, in 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4 and verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be awesome. And will rise, and then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and so shall they ever be with the Lord in the air. And so these guys are coming along, troubling the church there in Ephesus, saying, hey, you know what? Actually, that's already passed. You don't have that to look forward to. You've robbed me of my blessed hope. And so this is a big deal. And to the point, the Bible says that there was some subversion of believers. Now, likely some unfounded believers. And what I mean by that, people that just haven't been grounded, uh, could we say this? People that haven't been followed up on and discipled and brought along and grounded in the word of God. Okay, So these guys come along, bringing the spiritual rotten ruin into, the, uh, into, this, into this gathering, and they begin to teach this. They're overthrowing these that were, were unfounded in their faith. Titus 1 and verse number 10 uh, gives some suggestions about this. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So those of the, the Jewish faith. Similar to what happened when those guys left Jerusalem and went up to Antioch and said, listen, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So he's talking about guys like that whose mouths must be stopped. Shushed is the idea. Not here. Not in this body of believers who subvert whole houses teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. For money's sake. They're walking around teaching these false things. Paul told Titus, their mouths need to be stopped. We're not to dialogue, sit down and have a conversation with them, see how, how we can come to an agreement. Let's find our common ground. Beware, there's a lot of talk about that these days. You know, I was just, I was talking to someone. I, I, am, I am a Baptist. I had to make a choice to uh, remain Baptist. I was raised Baptist. I, I am not a Baptist just because I kind of got in the Baptist river and just uh, it floated here, okay? I am a Baptist by conviction. But I realize, God, that, the, the, that those that are saved, there are more people saved than, than are within Baptist churches. Do you understand what I'm saying? But listen, we, do, we must be very, very careful. We can't just say, well, everyone who claims the name is, is, is fine with me. Everyone who says, you know, Jesus is fine with me. I worship Jesus. I believe in God. It's fine with me. We have to be very careful about this. Remember, there are folks, we don't have common ground. We don't have the uh, common ground in Jesus Christ together. They haven't believed yet. We have to be careful about that. So we hear a lot of a lot of talk, like it's, 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 a, it's a very, very good thing if all the churches in town can come together, no matter what church it is, and we can have a prayer service, and we can bless a room or two. I get invited to these types of things at, at hospitals and so forth. Let's all come together, sing kumbaya, you all be together, and we'll bless this room together. Everyone, everyone, no, 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 listen, this is, this is the standard. This is it. And there is that wind that is going on in our world. Don't, don't be so isolated. Don't, don't stay on that narrow path. Accept everyone. Everyone. You will find our common ground. 
No, Paul says, I want you to stop the words. So what does that mean? Well, when we come into contact with it, it's being shared within your home. No, that's not going to be shared here. Friends, if someone were to stand up and preach something that was wrong, I would have to stop it. Now, Lord willing, they'll never get behind the pulpit and preach something that, you know, get that close to the pulpit, all right? You understand? But I, I would have that responsibility. If someone comes into the church, my responsibility, Acts 20, 28, is to watch out and make sure that, that those that are coming in that are wolves in sheep's clothing would not be able to say their thing and get, uh, get away with it, be allowed to just continue on. Uh, so that, that's very important. He says I, it needs to be stopped. It needs to be shunned. It needs to be pushed uh, away from you. Don't accept it. Why? Because it brings spiritual ruin. And so I just urge you tonight, beware of false teaching. Beware of the words. Be in the word of God so much that you can spot when it's wrong. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not preaching tonight, be so isolated that, you know, that you're just and you can't agree with anybody. You know, I'm not, that's not what I'm getting at. I am saying let the word of God be, be, the, be the guide. Someone told me this years ago, a preacher told me that, uh, this year ago, the, the level or the amount of truth that you agree on determines your, your amount of fellowship. And he used kind of the rings, uh, you know, a, a circle idea. And so there are people that, you know, I know they're, I know they're saved. Uh, we might have different practices. We, we might uh, disagree on, on some points. I know, they're, I know they're saving on their way to heaven, but I, I'm not going to uh, invite them in to come in here and preach because we have some differences and so on. I can appreciate and love them and so on, but we have some differences that, that would not be helpful to our, to our church family. You understand? Uh, the agreement on truth, the word of God is our guide. Um, We've mentioned uh, some already. God's not concerned about your practice as long as your heart is right. You hear people talk about that. Just as long as you have the right heart, you have a sincere heart. No, God's concerned about your heart. Does he say that anywhere in the word of God? Anywhere? Somewhere? Someone give it to me. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Love the Lord thy God with all thy Heart, soul, and mind. God is concerned about your heart. Yes, he is. You don't need to be separate from the world. And sometimes I, I hear this. I've reached so many more people by acting this way, by dressing this way, or by going to that place. I've reached so many more people. You never reach more people by compromising more, compromising the word of God. Not in a legitimate way. Not in a God-honoring way. Remember, friends, remember this. What you win them with, you have to keep them with. If you win them with a rock concert, you have to keep them with a rock concert. It's true. What you win them with, you keep them with. Have you ever noticed the churches that are giving in to that go heavier and heavier on the music and lighter and lighter on the preaching? this on it's true friends there's so many winds of doctrine out there yes many of them are are practice issues but here here's the thing you know as people might say oh, you don't need to separate from the world listen god tells us to separate from the world first um peter one in verse number 15 but as he which has called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation what's holy being set apart being set apart completely towards one set apart from the world to God, 
Sometimes people are all happy about being set apart from the world. I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't do this. But what do you do? We're to be set apart to God from the world. There's two sides of that. We're to be set apart from impurity in our relationships. No pornography, no nakedness, no corrupt words, no lustful thoughts, no ungratefulness, no gluttony, no gossip, no no bitterness, no appearance of evil. God says these things. The word of God's very practical. He wants us to be holy. You hear people talk about God doesn't call sinners to repentance. Repentance is an old word. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Repentance is not turning over a new leaf. Remember this morning, God is not just trying to make you a better you. He's not just trying to reform you. Sometimes we get this mentality, and this is brought on by false doctrine that is taught by churches that don't teach the Bible, that repentance is just turning over a new leaf. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction and action. Why is it that Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand? Repent ye! Repent ye and believe the gospel. I was going this way. I thought I, my good works were good enough to get me to heaven. I'm embracing my own lifestyle. God will certainly accept me because I'm sincere in my heart. I've, in repentance, I've forsaken that. And I said, you know what? I'm not righteous. I acknowledge my own sin. I ex- uh, acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone is righteous. And if I'll accept him, he will deliver me from wrath to come. That's repentance. It's change of mind that results in a change of action. It's a biblical word. We need godly repentance. You and I, as God's people, need godly repentance. When sin gets into our life, when we allow it into our lives, we make the wrong decision. When God starts knocking on our door by the Holy Spirit and saying, hey, this is wrong and, and this, this needs to be changed in your life, oh, that we would say, I repent, Lord. I repent. I turn from that. I'm changing my mind. I can't go that way anymore. I want to follow you. This is all the matter of being a disciple indeed, continuing in his word. I won't tarry here, but you hear people talk about, and these are more useless words that are thrown around. Jesus made wine, fermented wine, for them to use at the, at the wedding of Cana. And uh, because Jesus made wine for them to drink, uh, it's okay for you to socially drink. Friends, this, the Bible tells us in Habakkuk 2 and verse number 15, beyond all the, the words that are given in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20 and so on, Habakkuk 2 and verse number 15 says, Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink. Woe. All over the Bible, you, you hear this word wine, and within its context, you have, to, you have to look at, is it in a positive way? God says don't look at it when it moveth right in the cup. Don't look at it. God, God's the one that says don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't, 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 don't uh, consider whether, oh, it'll be all right. He's, he's the one that tells us to get away from it. And then, then people come along and say, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus made, made wine there, and so it, it's all right for us to socially drink. Friends, these are the things that creep in that are worthless and vain words that will lead to more ungodliness. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Excess meaning all debauchery. All debauchery. Drunkenness is the gateway to all sin. And so God says these words lead to more and more ungodliness. 
It's always the end. It's always the fruit. By the way, the wines that are made today and fermented today are so powerfully fermented and alcoholic. Uh, there's nothing in the olden days of Scripture that compares to the, to the alcohol that is today. And so legitimately, legitimately, uh, we're talking about two, on two different things and can, uh, you know, as far as alcohol content. And I, people talk about this. Uh, people talk about how that, that, that even taking from the first sip, there is a buzzing that begins to happen. And so I'm just, uh, here's what I'm saying. The words that fly, the words that come around, and we hear, we have to be so careful about that. We have to be so careful because the word of God is clear. Those words will lead to more ungodliness. And we have to be careful. Now, look at verse number 19. Here's a really encouraging note. So we have some people that are upset. They're subverted in their, in their uh, walk with the Lord. And here's what God says. Nevertheless. But Bill and Sue have been subverted. They're all distraught about this teaching about the resurrection being passed. And boy, they've just stepped out of church and they're all distraught, and they, they, they say they're not coming back, that it's not worth living for, um, for the Lord. They're all distraught. He says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. What's the seal? The Lord knoweth them that are his. Do you know that God doesn't lose track of his sheep? Not once. He says, John 10, 28, they're in his hand. There's security in the Son and in the Father. That's an encouraging note right there. Even when Satan gets in through words that, that are worthless and uh, useless, are wrong against the scriptures, are contentious, God knows whose is. God knows whose is. What a blessing. And so what does God say to those that are his? Depart from sin. Depart from sin. That's pretty simple. Be eager to be approved of God. Realize there's devastation from false teachers, false words, and so on, and depart from sin. That's pretty simple. He says there in, the, uh, in verse number 19, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now think about this. Practical holiness is our best weapon against an overturned faith. Practical holiness. I'm going to walk in a right way. It is your best protection. In fact, Ephesians 6 and verse number 14 tells us that we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? Practical righteousness. We're to put that on. Every day that we walk into life, we are to be walking in practical holiness. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Why? Because sin always dulls our senses. Dulls our discernment. You think of Saul who started out seemingly humble, but later on he moves along and he is going to a witch for, for instruction. He was making such wrong decisions. What happened? He threw a javelin at his son. That's crazy. That's crazy. Why? Sin dulls your senses, causes you to lose your judgment. So God says depart from sin. Holy living is your choice. We have to depart. We have to make that choice. That's a choice I need to make in this moment. I need to make that choice. We talk about physical distancing and someone that's uh, you know, ramping up again. We talk about physical distancing. Oh, that we'd be very, very concerned about spiritually distancing from that which is wrong and that which is not holy and that which is against God. And so God says, I want you to depart from it, abandon it, distance yourself, 
uh, take your mind and put it in a different place. Uh, leave that sin. Leave those words. Leave the sin and the wrong and that which displeases God. God calls us to spiritually distance from all unrighteousness. And I was reading about an individual about 31 years of age. Uh, he was a snake enthusiast. We were at the fair the other night, and they had, you, could, you could get a picture with a snake. I think it cost $20. I will never pay $20 to get a picture with a snake. I ran over a snake on the road in West Virginia. Sabrina was with me. We were on the, on the road. That, that snake decided to cross the road at exactly the wrong time. My son, no, he wasn't on that trip, but my uncle saw a rattlesnake while they were on a fishing trip um, when we were over there in West Virginia. Uh, he had on snake-proof boots. Snakes aren't fun. I don't like them. Every time I walk into my garage now, I look, for, uh, I look out for the black four-foot rat snake that was in our garage. And it just kind of permanently in, uh, you know, ingrained in, our, in the mind. Snakes aren't fun. But this guy, about 31 years old, his name was Dan. He had a pet python, python he had owned since it fit in the palm of his hand. Yeah. Uh, well, Dan died of asphyxiation in his home in New Hampshire, in Hampshire. And this was uh, in another country. And uh, you know what? It's crazy. His grief-stricken mom states this to one of the news outlets, that her strangled son would not have wanted the python to be put down. That's crazy. Yet sometimes we allow pet sins in our lives that we've held in our hands since a youth. We've not dealt with them, and we've not dealt with them. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. No one knows about it. Yeah. Dangerous. A pet sin. We've allowed it in our life. We play with it. We pull it out from time to time when no one's looking. We, uh, we think about it. We look forward to getting back with that pet. But at some point, at some point, it'll bring about your demise. Just this week, I have, I have, I have dealt with multiple and heard of multiple demises in people's lives that have, that have been brought about from someone having a pet sin in their life, something that they were not willing to give up. Families broken, churches hurting, mission organizations hurting. Sad. Friends, it starts with us. We have to, as God's people, how many of you name the name of Jesus Christ tonight? You're saved and you know it. Depart from sin. You don't coddle it. You don't place it in your hand. You, you depart from sin. When the Holy Spirit says, don't do it, you stop. Why? Because it brings spiritual ruin in our lives. And it'll bring a, a, a desensitization to the point where you're not able to even notice, hey, that's wrong doctrine. That's going to lead me down the wrong path. That's going to lead me and my family down the wrong path. So holiness is your choice. Holy vessels are God's choice. Look at verse number 19. Being in a great house. He says there's a bunch of different types of vessels. There's gold ones, silver ones, and wood ones. They're all different vessels. They all have their different use, but there's some that have honor and some that have dishonor. 
There's some the housewife says, you know what, I'm not going to use that one because it has a chip in it. I'm not going to put it out. That one is dirty inside. I'm not going to put that out. Have you ever been having guests over to your home and you're getting dishes out of the dishwasher and realize the dishwasher didn't do a very good job? Like, oop, I'm not putting that out on the table. Putting down the silverware and notice something, you know, some dried peanut butter is left on the, on the fork or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you put it down because it's dishonorable. Dirty. No, no guest and, and, and no one in your family wants to eat off that thing. It, it, looks, it looks nasty. And so in the, in the home, there's vessels that have honor and some that have dishonor. And here's what God says. Here's the, the correlation. If a man therefore pur- purge himself from these, what is these? The sin, iniquities, unrighteousness. He's going to be a vessel of honor. Purge is the idea to clean out to remove something. It requires me having to acknowledge my sin before a holy God and say, this was wrong in your sight. Lord, will you please forgive me? Friends, if God is convicting your heart about something tonight, the best thing that you can do is give uh, give in, say yes to God and say, God, I, I know I was wrong. I was wrong. I don't want that in my life anymore. I don't want that attitude in my life anymore. Clean it out. It's a choice you have to make. It's a choice you have to make in a moment. You have to say, all right, God, I see that by your Holy Spirit. I'm going to make that choice. Now, think about this. We hear a lot about people coming to church just as they are. Okay, which, which by the way, uh, people say, well, do you, have to, uh, do you have to dress in a certain way or do you have to do a certain thing? Do you have to carry a certain Bible in order to attend your church? Well, I understand. Everyone is welcome to come and attend, uh, attend and be a part of the services. So there's a, there's a side where, come, come on. But the idea that we have, we have come to in America is come as you are, and I know this is an old statement, but we don't want to confront what you are at all. We want you to have a great experience and it just to be really easy and be able to go home and you know, it, always leave with this, you know, kind of this, this, this fuzzy good feeling like, boy, it's just been, you know, it's awesome. You know, sometimes it's not awesome when God's dealing with us in our sin. You know, the conviction of God is not comfortable, especially when I'm saying no to him. And so this whole idea of, of come as you are has almost gotten to us to the mindset of this, that, that God has to accept me just the way I am. I'm not going to change. I, he has to use me just the way I am. Don't expect me to change. We've gotten a little bit here in America, we've especially gotten a, a, a lot into the idea of God accepts us on our terms. No, this is the term. This is it. And here's what I want to say about this. God does not owe it to you or to me to use me just as I am. Now, I understand personalities. I understand our differences. Paul was different than Barnabas. Luke was different than Paul. Timothy was different than um, than Luke. I understand the differences, but God does not owe it to me. Here I am. I don't want to change anything about my life. I don't really want to go through the purging process. Use me just as I am. God does not owe it to me. He actually says to me, if you purge yourself, then I can use you. Notice what he says here in, in in this verse. He says only purge vessels are vessels of honor. Do you know what that means? If you cannot remember the last time that you bowed before your God and asked him to forgive you of a sin, you're probably not purged tonight. Would you agree with me on that? Because you know what? 
it seems just about every day I have to talk to God about something. Purged vessels are vessels of honor. Mary was highly favored of God. Why? Because Mary had a walk with God. Why did God choose her to be the mother, the earthly mother of Jesus? Because she was a, she was a purged vessel. Purged vessels are sanctified. They're set apart. Purged vessels are fitted for the master's use. They're ready for the master's use. Notice here in this verse, purged vessels are prepared for every good work. Why, why is it that we think that God will just use us just the way I am? If I don't deal with this sin, as long as no one knows about it, I'm good. No, if God knows about it, you are not ready for every good work. You're not ready to sing. You're not ready to teach. You're not ready to minister until the sin is dealt with and God is pleading with us. There's spiritual ruin if we do not deal with the sin within our lives. And there's multitude of examples. There's multitude of examples of those who have said, you know what, this is all right. And just like that Dan, 31 years old, at some point it catches up and it kills him. It's not worth it, friends. It's not worth it. Just think about this. Every one of us hopes to be in the assembly of the saints five years from now. But my decisions tonight will determine whether that's true. My decision whether or not I deal with sin in my own life determines whether I will walk with God in the future. Oh, we gotta deal with it. God says depart from sin. Depart from sin. You can be gifted and not be holy and therefore not be fit for the master's use. Think about that. God is not wowed by our giftings. He says those that are holy, those that are purged, those that have set themselves apart from sin are vessels fit for the master's use. Are you fit tonight? One of the greatest, the greatest protections against all that's going on in the world around us is just that. Practical righteousness. Depart from sin. Timothy was told, listen, in the midst of all these worthless words that are circulating, remind those people the many false teachers that are there remind the people there at Ephesus, seek the approval of God. Realize that that teaching, those teachers will bring devastation and rot and ruin, but make sure that your walk with God is right itself. May we have the same heart as these that heard this message to depart from sin and seek the approval of God. Be on guard, be on guard. So let's ask the Lord to help us with that tonight, would you? Quiet at this moment, I'm going to invite you to respond to the Lord. No doubt he's spoken to your heart in some way. I know this challenges me. Would you stand to your feet tonight in attitude of prayer? And in the quiet of this moment, I want to invite you just to come. The Lord's spoken to your heart, you know what to do. Let's take some time to pray. Lord, there's something in my life, there's something in my life that isn't quite right. There's something in my life that you've convicted me about. Lord, I commit that to you. I acknowledge, I acknowledge it to you. I give it back to you.
This thing could be in the shape of attitudes. An attitude, Lord, I got this, I'm, I'm good. What was the sin of Laodicea? I'm rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. I'm rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. One of the scariest places to be tonight is if you cannot remember the last time that you've had to get something right with God. And remember the last time you've acknowledged a sin. I urge you with all the love that's in my heart, don't stay there. You're in danger, friend. Lord, we ask you tonight to help us as your people to be eager most of all about your approval. Lord, that'll change the way that we look at this week. Lord, would you also help us to be so very careful about all the wrong teaching that's out there. Be careful about it even within our own church, Lord, that we would, we would stand on your truth, that we'd stand in the right place. And oh God, would you help us to, to look at our own selves and depart from sin. Lord, I pray that you would put a hedge of protection about every saint in this room, and that none, that none of these that have gathered tonight, Lord, or are listening in, would depart, would be overturned in their, in their faith because they chose not to deal with a sin in their life. So God, would your sweet Holy Spirit continue to guide us and apply this message into our hearts this evening, we pray. Thank you for the truth of your word. We ask you to bless it our hearts. Be with us now as we go our separate ways. May you be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are going to gather up. Uh, the, the ladies have the, the... Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.